We are back for our second annual Halloween series. Stay tuned. Got a special guest for you guys right here on Truth Be Told, Hosea 46 Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Trevi Trev, coming back to you with another one. As you guys remember, last year we had our Halloween series, and right now we are actually in the middle of our cult and cult series here on the podcast. So uh, very much so appreciate the support um, from globally, all over the world. I cannot recall all of the countries uh, off the top of my head, um, but if you listen to the podcast, uh, escaping the cult uh, journey out of Santeria with uh, Enoch Marrero. I think I shouted out all of the countries and all of the states in the United States. So um, I don't know who's listening in California and Georgia, but you guys are downloading like crazy. So we appreciate the support. Uh, if it's a big company that wants to sponsor, just hit, hit us up on email. <laughs> I'll take a sponsorship. <laughs> well, anyways, we uh we wanted to do a, another Halloween series for you. Uh, last year, we had Dr. Michael Heiser, who came on Talk Demons. Uh, we had Joseph Jordan, who dealt with the alien demonic connection. So that was awesome. And actually, I, that episode, when all the um, stuff came out recently about the, uh, you know, Tic Tac videos, all these videos being released, that episode shot up i mean there's like downloads all over the place so next thing you know we get an email you guys are in the top 100 podcasts religiously and i think it was because of the joseph jordan's episode because everybody wants to know what is going on with you know these objects appearing in our skies and people having experiences and then we had father eric junger who is an and let me use proper english anglican exorcist and so he came on to uh, talk a little bit of exorcism and what not to do so you don't end up seriously oppressed or possessed. So we want to do that again. And I have a brilliant guy, young man. I'm going to call him young man. <laughs> I first encountered him through Dr. Heiser's, one of Dr. Heiser's uh, podcast webcast series that he does, um, which is awesome. You check it out because he does a lot of stuff that some people will say is weird, but I'm telling you, it will help you with your faith if you're struggling with some stuff. And he had Dr. Judd Burton on. And uh, so Dr. Burton was going in talking about vampires and all types of stuff. I was like, whoa, I got it. I know who to get for this. I know who to get. So joining me on this Halloween series, I have none other than Dr. Judd Burton. Welcome, Dr. Burton. Uh, thank you, Trevor. Glad to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I have quite a few of his books and uh, what more better book to discuss than the book of Halloween. So, Dr. Burton, a lot of people wondering with the whole spooky stuff and this is the month of pumpkins and you hear it on both sides of the aisle. Pumpkins are the devil. I wouldn't even have it on display. I have plenty of pumpkins outside my house, by the way, because I like the way they look. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, it makes my house look pretty nice, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to find out if I'm wrong or <laughs> if I need to get rid of them. <laughs> uh, what do they call gorges? It's like a, it's looked like a giant eggplant. It's um, it's a type. Oh yeah, of the little little gourds. Gorge, yeah. yeah, there we go. So I had picked up. We went to a pumpkin patch and grabbed some stuff. So, you know, had a good time with the family, and uh, I think my house looks very fallish, to say the least. So, but Dr. Burden, um, again, welcome. But let's talk. I want to talk about Halloween. Mm-hmm. What are the origins of Halloween? Well, Halloween is it's generally observed in the States as a, a direct descent from a Celtic festival called Samhain. Mm-hmm. Samhain was the, um, the Celtic New Year. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm emphasizing the, the Celtic end of it here because, um, in fact, many old world uh, prehistoric and, and early historic antique civilizations uh, and societies celebrated a, a version of this because they all basically had a very similar calendar that was based on the procession of seasons throughout the year. And so the harvest served as a, a specifically November the 1st served as their new year. And for the Celts, uh, Samhain was a time that they believed that uh, the veil between this world and the next world was the thinnest. And so this allowed them to not only uh, traffic more closely with the gods that they worshipped, uh, but also the supposedly the spirits of their their uh, dead ancestors and and friends and loved ones who have gone on. Uh, and there there was a whole um, you know retinue of of ceremony and rite that went along with the invocation and placation of these kinds of spirits um and of course these practices are are you know could basically be summed up under the umbrella of necromancy the the Mm -hmm. converse with the dead or, or or spirits uh which are practices that are soundly drummed out uh and forbidden uh in both the old and new testament in the Bible. Uh, and there are reasons for that, which we can get into uh, as we go along tonight. Uh, but, but just uh, in, in terms of introduction, uh, this was a, a festival that was imported to the United States through various um, peoples from the old world coming to the new world. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, there are variations of it around the world um, that, in fact, that week between October the 31st and November the 5th, there are a string of, of, of related uh, observances such as uh, Halloween, All Saints Day, uh, Dia de los Muertos in Latin America, uh, and even Guy Fawkes Day is reminiscent of um, these traditions of uh, trickery and, and mischief uh, that were associated with the original Samhain. In the, in the case of Samhain or Halloween, uh, that, that um, the agents for that sort of trickery and mischief, of course, were their, the spirits of their gods and fairies and all kinds of hobgoblins and things, uh, which formed the corpus of their mythology. And, and to add to that, of course, the, the animistic element, the, the uh, uh, placation and, and, and communication with the dead. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, 
acknowledging that the, even within the Celtic communities of Western and Northern Europe, and uh, we're talking about a people that had bits and pieces of shared language and culture, um, not trying to paint them monolithically. That's why there were different avenues, so to speak, uh, that these observances came from the old world to the new world uh, so that we have Halloween. And Halloween ex itself, the name is an actual christening uh, of this um, observance. Uh, in other words, when, um, when the church began to spread out into disparate parts of, of Europe and Asia and Africa, um, the standing order for missionaries was basically to look if there's a sacred grove or something or, or, or a hilltop or something that these people are used to gathering at at a certain time of the year or week or whatever. Don't don't chop the stand of trees down or, or you know, build your church right there because they're already used to, you know, meeting there or whatever. And then christen, you know, Christianize, so to speak, christen their holy days and observances. Uh, and that's what happened to Samhain. Samhain became, uh, uh, instead of uh, communication with the dead, uh, allegedly it was supposed to be uh, an observance of the remembrance of saints who have gone by. Um, because All Saints Day is November the 1st and All Hallows Eve, All, All Saints Eve, is where we get Halloween from because it's the day before. So All Hallows Eve, Halloween. Um, but yeah, in a uh, just in terms of introduction, that that's essentially the the basic element behind Halloween, behind Samhain, and um, through colonization, through migration, through diffusion, it eventually makes its way to the New World. So. Where where do we get all of the dress up and the masks and you know when it gets to America did it start off evil or was it just something you know like a heritage almost like we're trying to remember where we came from and then mm -hmm. it just kind of commercialized itself right well um, as to the first part uh, the, the the costumes and, and dressing probably stem from practices of that were that were totemistic within Celtic culture. In other words, reverence for animals, um, because even some of those traditions are preserved in other Celtic festivals that survived, like uh, um, May Day, Valpurgisnacht. Um, most people have seen illustrations of, of the Maypole, uh, where they're sort of dancing, holding ribbons and dancing around the Maypole. And a lot of these these people that are involved in this are wearing, you know, ma animal masks, essentially. Well, the same sort of thing can be applied to what's happening uh, at uh, Samhain or Halloween. Um, is this, you know, because a lot of their, a lot of their gods were theriomorphic and anthropomorphic. In other words, they had both, they had both human and animal attributes. Uh, probably the best known is Kernunos, who was this, the stag, horned god uh, mm. of many of the western Celts. um so there there's all these chimerical gods they were were trying to evoke and invoke in these ceremonies uh were, were mimicked by the kind of accoutrement 
that participants actually had on. Uh, and this is something called um, uh, imitative magic, uh, in which you're trying to uh, mimic or mirror the end of whatever ceremony that you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. uh, and th in this case, they're trying to contact their gods, which more often than not were these chimerical theriomorphic deities. Um, but as to your second question, um, what was the state of the holiday by the time that it gets to the new world? Well, that sort of depends on if you're talking about about American history, it sort of depends on what part of the colonies um, you're in, because in the other colonies, you, you typically had more um, Anglican uh, and Catholic influences. And in the north in New England, uh, it was almost universally, uh, you know, Puritan or, or separatist or, or um, uh, you know, there were there were some Quakers too, but it was it was it was basically Protestant in the north in the north, mm -hmm. and more Anglican and Catholic. Uh, although technically the Church of England was Protestant, but much of its right was still very Catholic. Right. right. Um, because that that holiday had been canonized and, and christened. Uh, in the Catholic Church and by proxy the Anglican Church, um, those sort of celebrations and little parties and things like that uh, actually took place pretty early on and found an early ensconcement uh, in in Southern colonial uh, society. It's a different story in the North because the Protestant Führer was still very fresh uh, when. Um, you know, um, the, the, the first Puritans and separatists uh, or pilgrims arrive in the new world. And so there it's not just Halloween that they don't embrace and don't celebrate and consider, you know, is straight from the pit of hell. But they also don't celebrate Christmas uh, okay. because it's a, a, a Roman christened, a Roman Catholic christened holiday. And they were mm -hmm. trying to dis distance themselves from that. Mm. Okay, so why why the association w with pumpkins? What why you know why pumpkins have become so attached to Halloween? I mean, it's like mm -hmm. you know this this fruit is just it's all thing evil on one side, even if it's just decoration. You have some people that won't even eat pumpkin pie because it's a pumpkin. It come you know well, well that's just tasting. criminal. <laughs> they don't they don't know what they're missing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I mean, pumpkins, uh, pumpkins have long been a symbol of the harvest. So there's nothing inherently evil of, um, you know, these old world symbols of, of the harvest. Uh, but the the jack-o'-lanterns that I think we're sort of circling to um, mm. were the, they're a remnant of, um a couple of things you did have some celtic societies whose priests their druids used um uh use them as a the kind of marker to mark out who would be up for human sacrifice and almost a kind of raffle um sort of a, a, a system um they didn't only use uh, pumpkins, though. They, more often than not, they used they used big turnips, 
mm-hmm. uh, and would carve them out and put a coal in them. And that's where the Irish tradition of the jack-o'-lantern came from, was using turnips. Oh, uh, wow. But when they when they began to come to the country first during the colonial period, and then in, in greater numbers during the potato famine in the 1840s, now there are millions of, of Irish that are coming over. Um, these traditions survive in a christened canonized form uh, and instead of uh, uh, you know carving out the the turnips which are smaller and take a little bit more fine work uh, it was easier to uh, hollow out these gourds the pumpkins uh, to make the jack-o'-lanterns and so that's where the tradition of the, the jack-o'-lantern comes from but in terms of you know the um pumpkins and gourds and things like that. They've traditionally been a, an old world symbol of, of harvest. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there anything behind the games that are being played at like Halloween events, like bobbing for apples or, you know, anything, is there anything, is that just American tradition or is there anything behind that? Well, largely an American tradition, not that they didn't exist in a, a kind of embryonic form in the old world, um, but they became party games and were disseminated widely um, throughout the New World, particularly the what became the United States. Um, the really the festival of Halloween that, that we we uh, just in terms of pop culture, you know, on a pop culture level, um, mm-hmm. looking at it anthropologically, the 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 festival the the popular festival of halloween we have where kids dress up and go trick-or-treating and you know go to parties and stuff like that uh is is almost entirely an invention of the 20th century right um again not that it wasn't celebrated in like you know irish or scottish neighborhoods Mm -hmm. uh in, in in larger cities but it took a while for uh those practices to to further disseminate uh throughout our society um but um one of the one of the big things about halloween was the the playing of of pranks and vandalism uh that were initially associated with it and in order to blunt or thwart that um cities began to turn halloween into a a a kid's holiday Uh, and that's when you start to see um, you know, more Halloween parties and trick-or-treating right. and things like that. Uh, so it, it, those kinds of things, although they ha- may have more ancient roots, aren't really widely disseminated and practiced until it becomes a sort of, of, you know, mass produced commercial holiday. In other words, uh, mm-hmm. during the 20th century. So there is, there is some behind trick or treat. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that, that this goes back to the, uh, you know, the raffle system that the Druids had, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, for, for picking uh, human sacrifice. And a number of ways, of course, <laughs> which they would dispatch or dispel victims, um, either with the use of, of bladed implements or knives, um, mm-hmm. and but not infrequently with uh, the Wicker Man, uh, which was an actual large wicker anthropomorphic figure uh that they would put these sacrificial victims in and set a fire um so there's there's a yeah there are some rather gruesome roots to what what seemed to us to be kind of innocuous and harmless practices let me why you why you talking about the druids 
bonfires. Mm-hmm. That's a is that a practice that when that was known to Druids? Yes, um, the one of the one of the mainstays in ancient Celtic religion, and I, the same could be said for ancient Germanic and Slavic traditions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you spin the globe, you know you're likely to find this too because it's one of the classical elements. Fire was a very important aspect of religious ritual in a number of cultures over space and time. Um, It seems to have been particularly uh, important to the Celts in terms of, um, on the one hand, uh, it was symbolic of the sun and it helped keep the the year in progression, you know, Mm -hmm. by, by lighting these huge bonfires at these festivals. It, the other thing is that it had to do with fertility, with fecundity, um, with with making sure that that uh, uh, your herds, you know, whether they were cattle or sheep or whatever, uh, were sustained. And so, in particular, uh, at some of these festival dates, like uh, particularly May Day and um, not infrequently Samhain, um, but but especially in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple bonfires would be lit and uh, people's entire herds would be basically driven through the mid- middle of them uh, oh, in wow. order to ensure their uh, fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some more of that. Um, it, well, it's, it sort of sort of straddles the fence between what I, what I talked about a minute ago, imitative magic and contagious magic. You do have the imitative elements of, of the sun uh, in, in fire, but you also have a kind of contagious magic or contact magic uh, because the, the animals themselves are being driven so close to the bonfires. Right. Okay. Um, well, yeah, that's, that's pretty loud. I mean, I, we know it was some like origin, deep origin to Halloween, but mm-hmm. I think America has, well, to well, our present time has commercialized it so much. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the scarier, the better. You know, you have competitions mm-hmm. with houses on the block, haunted mm-hmm. houses. And, mm-hmm. you know, was it always, a, was it just listening to you? It seemed as before I squared, it seemed as though it was just more so when it was practiced in, you know, Ireland and the Slavic countries or what have you, I could get that wrong, but it seemed more so as a religious aspect. Yeah. Here is just, you know, it's either, I think it was Anton LaVey that said something about, you know, this is a religious holiday for Satanists. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, and therein lies the problem. I mean, it, it's a, a multi-tiered issue. On the surface, right. you have what seems like you, you know, as you point out, the the commercial, you know, sort of innocuous face of Halloween. But then there's the the underbelly. There's there are the Luciferians, the Satanists, mm-hmm. you know, illuminized individuals, whatever you want to call them, uh, who subscribe to these ancient traditions uh you know that they they think that they're the purveyors of of and preservers and stewards of of ancient mystery religions um and so they have no problem with subscribing to these idea these ideas um 
and putting them into practice. Uh, and that's why, you know, people like, I mean, Anton LaVey, his ideas are, were certainly dangerous, but their, their personalities in the, in the occult world, uh, you know, in, in, in real Satanism, uh, Luciferianism, uh, who are much more dangerous, you know, in, yeah. individuals who have been involved in, uh, you know, developing our, our psyops, you know, in the armed forces, um, you know, who, who are high thaumaturgists, you know, they're accomplished adept satanic magicians, essentially, you know, developing these programs under the guise of, you know, psychological warfare. Well, mm. it's, you know, that, that's, that's the demonic element, the demonic root here. And, and further, it, it goes, it really goes back to um, this cult of the dead that's been at, at, at the heart of the development of, of, of many religions going mm -hmm. all the way back into prehistory. In other words, materially, archaeologists can date this concept of irreverence and uh, often a, a fear and a need to placate and keep these spirits at bay. This is something that we can chart well into prehistory. And of course, it's more articulated in the ancient world because we have written records to go along with the material evidence that, w that we pull out. But the you know, one of the reasons that the Old Testament authors, um, you know, via the, their, their inspiration from God mm -hmm. came down on these kinds of practices so hard is because um, the, the dead that these people were, you know, whether they were the Canaanites or Mesopotamians or, or Phoenicians or whoever, right. the dead that they were contacting were the Rephaim. Yeah. Uh, and th this is the, usually that that's translated as the wraiths or the dead ones or, or, or something to that effect. What is um, also, uh, some of them refer to like some ancient Kings. Yes. Yes. Okay. Ab absolutely. Okay. In fact, there's been a, a string of, of research over the past years that, um, people like myself and Dr. Heiser, um, Derek and Sharon Gilbert, um, Yes, yeah, so I, I, I love their book. I have their book. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. They're know, veneration, veneration. Veneration. Yeah, yes. exactly. That's the one yes. I'm getting to. Yeah. And there's a, um, uh, I think he's an Estonian uh, Assyriologist by the name of Amar Anus, who's done some really yes. good work Yeah, and yeah. connecting. Um, so what are we getting at here? What we're getting at is we can tell by first of all, by phonetic similarity mm -hmm. that the Rephaim, the, the, um, Rav, Rav, Ravad that are, are mentioned in the Akkadian and Sumerian material in Mesopotamia. Mm -hmm. And then, then the same thing, uh, the, the Rapa Umi that are referenced in, uh, the Ugaritic material that the Phoenicians and the Canaanites used, uh, it's really there that we have um, the details of their rituals and, and how they conceptualize uh, these spirits. Well, they were the spirits of the, the Opstu, which was the mm -hmm. watery abyss in Mesopotamian um, 
mythology. And uh, there was a, a, a prescribed and articulated uh, belief system about placating and keeping these these dead ancestor kings, in other words, um, at bay and keeping them happy or else they would retaliate. Um, and uh, this is why Moses and the other writers of the Old Testament, and by proxy, the writers of the New Testament, um, put such a heavy prescription against um, necromancy, against talking with the dead, because they're like, hey, yeah, these are dead ancestor kings. These are people, these are things, entities that have passed along, but they're the, they're the pre-fled giants in the Rephaim yeah. Uh, who who were the the second tier gods? You know, if you think of the the Watchers or the Apkalu mm -hmm. uh, as the as the, the the elder gods or the Titans, their progeny were were the equivalent of the Olympians. You know, the second tier gods, right. uh, and they they quite literally were the um, the the god kings of, of late prehistory and early antiquity, early post flood antiquity. Um, that's that's why necromancy is considered to be such a deadly thing to toy around with. Yeah. Um, and it's, you don't at the know very, who you're coming in contact. Yeah. With. You, I mean, well, you know, you don't know, but you also kind of, you know, if you, if you study this stuff, you, you, you realize very quickly that they do have identities that they, they are yeah. entities that have passed along, but they're not what you think they are. They're, they're, they're not humans. Um, so, uh, it's it's kind of you know just theologically speaking it's kind of scary territory for a lot of believers to venture into um but this time of the year i mean that that sort of thing in, in a uh you know with a kind of pop culture facade is very much in our our face in terms of movies and um, yeah. uh you know series and uh uh, books and toys and you know everything else that you can imagine um and and the church i think as as, as a whole has kind of remained silent and asleep at the wheel uh on, on some of these very dangerous topics that um you know you mentioned uh, uh uh veneration by the gilberts you know i highly recommend that book to people you know to to delve more deeply in into this but suffice to say that, as I say, this is this cult of the dead is a near universal in the development of, of world, world religions. Um, and it survives today uh, in these these varied, you know, varied forms. Um, it's also believed that, um, you know, one of the one of the things that you had to do to placate these spirits was to feed them, to literally feed them. That's where we get in the ancient world. We get all these votive offerings mm -hmm. uh, and, and dishes. And so, like I, I did my dissertation on, on Caesarea Philippi, uh, uh, Panaeus, which is at the foot of Mount Hermon. Right. Is, and, it, that's um, the, uh, is that the cave? Cave of they, Pan. That's right. So they would. Okay. Um, gotcha. I think yeah, I, and, yeah. And, I got you. And, and you know, within that cave, there's there's an archaeological level that's just broken pottery. It's just junk, and it it's all these votive vessels that were brought to 
namely to give to Pam but by proxy other spirits as well because mm -hmm. people were literally coming in and giving you know libations of wine or milk uh you know the, the their plates and casserole dishes were all busted up in the midst of this stuff because they were literally eating with these spirits uh, and and you know th this is a practice that continues even to this day uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Dia de los Muertos a moment ago. Um, you know, it's not uncommon on that day to find, you know, people having a picnic at a, at a, a loved one's grave or, uh, you know, this is, of course, within the Latino um, culture. Mm -hmm. uh, and right now, a lot of this spiritual contraband is being brought over our, our southern border with the Haitian refugees that are coming um, and that's something that really, you know, is definitely a humanitarian crisis too, but something that, that nobody seems to want to talk about are the, the practices of, of, of Haitian voodoo that are yeah. undoubtedly being brought over in, in greater numbers. And that's a tradition that actively seeks to be either possessed, the, the voodoo sense of practitioners actively seek to either be possessed by their loas the gods or right. or the spirits of the dead mm -hmm. um and they consequently they believe that their loas and the, the people who have passed along dwell under the water they dwell under the rivers and seas at the at the the bottoms of these bodies of water not terribly different from what the ancient mesopotamians the ugaritic tradition yeah. the phoenicians yeah. that came believed about the the watery uh opsu the abyss mm -hmm. so that's why i say that these practices are still um still very much at play in the world so there's that that's the dire serious spiritual warfare end of it i think that believers need to be concerned with but we're most often um distracted from that by the, the you know I hesitate to call it the latter side, but let's just call it the commercialized side of, of Halloween, you know, the candy yeah. and the parties and yeah. costumes and stuff. So even if somebody just said, look, man, I'm just going to get some candy and put on a little costume, mm -hmm. have no parts with it, or is it harmless? Well, I tell you what, I, you know, I, I've said this before on, on programs, you know, ultimately that has to be the choice of, of, families and individuals, I think. Mm -hmm. But the older that I get, the more that I, I, I feel that I want to distance myself, you know, from that. Now, you know, plenty of, of churches do, you know, fall festivals and trunk or treat and stuff like right, that. Right. I don't, I don't see, I don't see any problems with doing that. I mean, um, and so the, there is an innocuous element of it, but what, what people need to be aware of, is is that it some of these seemingly innocuous practices do do mimic these older clearly demonic traditions mm -hmm. uh and if we're admonished and encouraged by scripture to distance ourselves from the very image of evil um i think that that should at the very least give people uh, particularly believers cause to reconsider how they felt about the holiday Okay. All right. Well, I don't want to chew too much more time up. I want to move in some some other stuff that 
people might dress up as and mm. you know, we'll, you'll see a lot of these type of documentaries come on TV at this time. Sure. So I want to ask you first about, I don't know if you wrote on this or not, but Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. What is Bigfoot? And is there anything paranormal? Because some people will say, I saw Bigfoot and I looked up in the sky, I saw some lights. Sure. Or I had a well, headache when I saw book. I heard that one too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've heard I've heard lots of that. Um, yeah, you, is it you know, what what what's you know because uh, there's some Native American stories where it's like an all out war between uh nation of Sasquatch and then mm-hmm. Native American. I think somewhere in California. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, you can go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, my master's degree is in anthropology, and so I had a, a good deal of of studying the human fossil record that sort of thing i was never convinced of the evolutionary end of it um but i mean the, the fossil record shows adaptation and change that mm-hmm. at least is demonstrable and scientific the, but the spontaneous speciation and punctuated equilibrium i just thought that's just wholly unscientific it doesn't make any sense at any rate I became familiar with the work of an anthropologist named Grover Krantz, who used to teach at Washington State. And his theory was that Bigfoot was a remnant population of Gigantopithecus, uh, this sort of, of huge ape, you know, like 15 foot tall ape uh, mm. that did have a presence in North America at one point in time. And I thought, okay, you know, Bigfoot is probably a species that's been whittled down to its bare minimum. Um, it, it's clearly intelligent. It's a primate. It, it, if it wants to, it can disappear into the Yukon and nobody would ever know the difference. Right. Um, very adept at, at hiding. And so I, I was content with a kind of naturalistic um, explanation of, of Bigfoot for a number of years until I started reading about and hearing about more sort of paranormal uh, uh, kinds of experiences that people were having when they came into contact with Bigfoot or, you know, just this, uh, you know, um, you know, seeing them ap- appear out of nowhere and then disappear into a portal or, or as you pointed out, you know, there were right. lights around them or lights in the sky or something. Yeah. Hey, UFO uh, or, or, or UAP. Or, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, um, the, t- the terrible smell around them is okay, is one yeah. and um you know just a a, a, a veritable litany of paranormal phenomena uh, accompanying these sightings and encounters um and so i, re- I reconsidered my position um and and began to to consider what those possibilities might be um, that they might be remnant populations of, of some of the tribes of giants uh, and, or they might be something, you know, wholly other, you know, something chimerical and into themselves, as you say, that there are native traditions, native histories of, right. of these kinds of creatures that go back for thousands of years. Um, it's just that most of the time those accounts get peripheralized because it's oral history and not written down. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's already been, it's well documented by anthropologists that um, oral traditions, if the proper mechanisms for accuracy are, are built into them, uh, then, then 
they're, they're passed along with a high degree of, of accuracy. And that's very much the case in a lot of Native American traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I tend to think that, that um, that's not to say that there may not be natural populations, because even in the sightings, you know, around the world, there, there's quite a bit of physical variation uh, uh, to, you know, Bigfoot or Yowie or, or you know, the Yeti or or, mm-hmm. or whatever version, you know, we happen to be talking about. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to deny, you know, the, the accounts, the anecdotes that build up um, about these encounters with Bigfoot. And so I, I think that there's got to be, so, there has to be something paranormal, supernatural about them. Trans, if the trans-dimensional element is there, then, then that leaves all kind of possibility for, um, uh, you, you know that these are are simply another kind of demon. Um, yeah. th- there's there's something at, at work there. I'm not saying that that's that's the case in every encounter, um, but it just seems like the the purely naturalistic explanation uh, is becoming um, more and more in, inefficient in terms of explaining Bigfoot or Sasquatch as a you know, as, as a, as a tenable idea, as a, 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 an actual manifestation in, in time and space. Mm, okay. Yeah. Cause I, I, I wondered, you know, about Bigfoot and I mean, you would hear stuff here and there, the very elusive creatures. Um, mm-hmm. I heard the gigantopithecus a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started to hear stories where it was the paranormal stuff. Like, what in the world is UFOs or UAPs? Let me be correct. Have to deal with Bigfoot, and mm-hmm. I was like, something, something's going on. And some people were reporting. I saw this Bigfoot, and I had a headache. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, why are you getting a headache from Bigfoot? Mm-hmm. And then you had some that said, man, the, the smell was horrendous, smell like mm-hmm. sulfur. <laughs> If you look at some some stuff with um, people that would have infestations of demons in their home, they would talk about a sulfuric smell. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, man, I hope that, you know, but we can't put anything past the supernatural realm. And I think that's what's no. starting to happen Yeah, with the whole UAPs. And I tell people, I said, pay attention to the language. Yeah, because it went from flying saucers back in the 40s. And I understand what, you know, that's when you had... Um, L. Ron Hubbard and Parsons that bust open the uh what do they do the Babylon working Babylon workings in forty seven yeah 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 that that was also the same year that that uh, we rediscovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. You think is any connection with that? Oh, I, undoubtedly. I mean, there, there's a that that whole window of opportunity. I mean, within the span of a year, you have the Roswell incident, the. Mm-hmm. Babylon workings, rediscovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and Israel becomes a nation state again. So that seems a little, a little, as a historian, I can't look at that and say, well, that's, that, that's a, an unrelated string of events. Well, yeah. knowing, knowing what I know about biblical history, I, I, I can't really say that. I mean, it, it just, theologically, it doesn't make sense. Historically, it doesn't make yeah. sense. So, yeah, you know, I, I think that window of time is very telling. Yeah. And the, the you know, with, with the whole UAP situation and they're talking about these things flying underwater. And I'm I'm just mm-hmm. like, I read a lot of stuff on demonology. That's what my interest is. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I read a lot dealing with ancient Near East uh, demonology and mm-hmm. Babylonians. All of them had stories about demons flying and being underwater and oh, sure. occupying water. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. To me, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, we and were just he, talking about the Apsu, the, the watery right. underworld. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so I just, I mean, to me, it just, I'm, I'll scream. I'm listening to Joe Rogan show and they're like, man, these things flying underwater. I'm like, I understand where you guys are at on the spectrum with religion and all that jazz, but you guys really need to look at um, some ancient Near Eastern demonology mm. and stuff of that nature because Absolutely. to me, it explains the whole phenomenon of dealing with the water because some people are like, okay, well, that's the sky. What about the water? How do they move, mm. maneuver underwater? And then you go mm. to like um, uh, Haitian voodoo. Mm-hmm. They believe in mermaids, which are sirens. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think they are the most evilest spirit in voodoo, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they all of these cultures, these cultures that date back thousands of years, these practices or some people, they have something dealing with water, water spirits, you know, mm-hmm. sirens on ship, water spirit or uh, mm-hmm. sailors on ships uh, with mermaids being lowered to the death. Mm-hmm. I, to me, I just think it's just kind of, it's, you know, like uh, dealing with New Age. It's it's just the mm-hmm. old occultism of Greco-Roman. You know, if you look yeah, at it, yeah. it's and Hecate. Yeah. I think it's Hecate. How you yeah, Hecate. Uh-huh. Hecate. Uh-huh. There we go. Yeah. Find somebody can tell me if I pronounce I mean, you you see some of the stuff. I mean, it's kind of like, well, that's what Satanists do. The same with the yeah. bathing in blood and the bloodbath. Yeah. And I mean, it's just kind of like a revival. But sure. Yeah, there's nothing new about the new age. I mean, it's just repackaged, just right. just like just like in in the the classical period and the the archaic period, the Greco-Roman stuff is just repackaged ancient Near East religion. Mm-hmm. That's because all it the, is. The Greeks themselves even believed that their gods came from the east. Right. Uh, there's an e- excellent book that I'd recommend to people. Um, and if people follow my work, you know, they, they know that I do a lot of work on, on Pan and, and his, his origins in the East. Um, but that's one example of, of many. Uh, there's, there's a great book called The West Face of the Helicon um, that talks about the, the ancient Near Eastern origins of, of the gods that the Greeks and the Romans worship. Mm, yeah, it's, okay. it's, yeah, there's nothing new about it. It's just it's repackaged. Yeah, I've got one, too. Um... I forgot the author's name, but he um, he talks about the Raphaim, how it became the uh, the pantheon of gods in Greece. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of writing on, you know, about that whole. Yeah. And, you know, the, and, yeah. And the good thing about it now is that, I mean, you don't have to be a Sumeriologist or, or, or be able to read cuneiform. You can read a lot of this stuff in in translation and it's mm-hmm. a lot of it's public domain you're just you know you're a search engine search away from from reading it you know for the ancient near eastern stuff my goodness there's, there's there are databases that have all this these eucharitic tablet translations you've got uh, the enuma elish gilgamesh mm-hmm. all that stuff is is just wait you know waiting for people to to dig into yeah okay i got maybe got time for two more uh, American horror story, so to speak. Okay. Um, another popular one, Mothman. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Mothman? West Virginia I, Mothman. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's 
uh, you're talking about the the John Keel Point Pleasant yes, sir. sightings. Yeah, well, um, Mothman again is another one of those cryptids, you know, who who's sightings worldwide just just it's like i tell tell folks with any of these creatures first of all you have to strip the cinematic literary pop culture veneer from them you know take count dracula's cape away from him he's not some mm-hmm. you know vampires not some european nobleman we're talking about about demonic entities whose whose judgment because of their pre-flood wickedness allowed them basically to become these these creatures uh in later millennia and um mothman seems to be one of them mm-hmm. uh, uh it, it, you know it's interesting his characteristic is a kind of harbinger of of catastrophic events should be one clue uh, that he's, you know, that he's tied in with the demonic stratagem, so to, so to speak, you know, the demons mm-hmm. being the, the heirs to, you know, watcher knowledge or watcher tech. That's not to say that, that these beings are, are omniscient. They don't know everything, but they are well-informed and well-educated and can sort of see a little farther down the line mm-hmm. than we can. And it's, I think clearly um, Mothman is utilizing, you know, in all his various, you know, forms is utilizing uh, this kind of kind of tactic. Um, and, and the people that have, have recounted their direct encounters with Mothman uh, are not, they're not positive uplifting encounters. There's, there's immediately this feeling of dread uh, and terror, you know, when they come in close proximity with the Mothman, and um, you know, it's it, it's a worldwide phenomenon. You know, um, supposedly Mothman was sighted, you know, near Chernobyl before the the nuclear accident. Yeah, I heard that. about that. Yeah, and um, I've I've seen accounts of of Mothman being uh, seen before the the nine eleven tragedies oh, wow. um we I, i've got a, a friend of mine joe taylor who's the curator of the mount blanco fossil museum uh who's recorded a number of mothman sightings in the crosbyton texas area which is about about two hours north of where i'm at right now um so it you know they're all over the sightings are all over again that, that's the whole th- whole point about these phenomena you know, whether it's cryptids or paranormal phenomena or UAPs or whatever, they've just been statistically, they're just ramping up. You know, it, it, it just seems that we're sort of out of the Cold War phase of, of spiritual warfare. And it's it's becoming more in the open and conventional now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think we're, we're li- living in a time where the, the church is going to have to make a decision about this to, as to whether to acknowledge it as a, as a a supernatural reality and a threat or just go back to burying its head in the sand. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, even, you know, you had the government, you know, now they're ranking, they want Senate wants to look at it. And then mm-hmm. you had, uh, you know, I don't know how true this group is, but I, I think they were real. The Collins elite, 
Sure. You know, I mean, they came to the conclusion that it was everything I've read from, you know, if there was their work, you know, how the government work, but yeah. they came to clear. It was de- demons. They were bringing in oh, demonologists sure. from yeah. Assyria, Sumeria, yeah. you know, ancient, yeah. you know, and then um, theologians to talk about mm-hmm. the demonology. And then mm-hmm. Luis Alessandro, who recently came out, he was on 60 Minutes. Um, I know he didn't say it on 60 Minutes. Even if he did, 60 Minutes probably added this portion out. I heard him on another podcast. He said uh, when he was looking into like aliens and stuff and the UAPs mm-hmm. and all of that, his boss came in and said, when was the last time you read your Bible? And he said, you know, I read it sporadically here and there. He was like, well, then you know what we're dealing with is demonic. Leave it alone. These UAPs. So sure. it was, you know, but let me ask you one more. Is sure. I, I hear about this. And I said, well, I mean, you know, it's probably demonic. Anyway, you know, when you understand that realm, black-eyed children. Have you Mm -hmm. heard of them? Yeah, absolutely. What what the crap is black-eyed children? Well, here again, you know, I think think we're looking at demonic manifestations. They're not, you know, keeping in mind that in the same way that the the Watchers or Opkalu or whatever appellation you want to give to them, Mm -hmm. we're able to manipulate matter in this realm in certain ways. Uh, that that ability, that technology, if you want to call it that, went to their their offspring, their 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 descendants, and I think this is just another uh, another instance of where that's being practiced. I, I just so happen to have a friend, um, Brian Bethel, who's a uh, a journalist. Uh, he, he writes for the Abilene Reporter News. And he had an encounter with a black eyed, one of the black eyed children. Um, oh, wow. And uh, it scared him, scared him to death. Um, the, I think actually his may have been one of the, one of the, this was back in the 90s, I think, when this happened. Mm-hmm. His may have been one of the, the earliest to sort of get traction, you know, in the popular arena, just in terms of, of media dissemination. Um, but it, you know, it's it's the standard, you know, sort of encounter that people recount. You know, some kid will come knocking at the door or whatever, and need to use the phone, or and something yeah. they'll they'll sense that something is 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 off with these these kids. First of all, the eyes, you know, are are completely right. black, and second of all, there's just something off, you know, not right about these kids. Well, uh, my friend was in his. He happened to be in his car when this happened. He was in the parking lot of a, a movie theater, I think. Um, and this kid just uh, almost out of nowhere just shows up and is just right outside his his door. And he's, his eyes are just glazed over black. Um, and it's the same kind of th- thing, you know, this immediate feeling of dread and terror. Something's not right about this kid. The kid, you know, he, he needs help of some kind. Uh, I'm not going to get... Not going to give it to him. Um, so, and sometimes they show up in more than, it's more than one. Yeah, sometimes yeah, I heard it's about multiple that. children. Um, so, I, I mean, what what better guys uh, to show up in, in, in than that of, that of a child uh, to try and throw 
a person off guard or, or elicit their sympathy or something to get them to, to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it just, it, it makes me think of, of the passages where Jesus is saying, you know, suffer the little children. And then for those that, that, that try to harm them, it'd be better if a millstone was thrown around their neck and they were tied around their neck and they were thrown into the ocean. Uh, well, just, just like everything that the demonic does, what do they do? They take what, what's good, what, what God gives, and they make this terrible parody of it, this mirrory demonic reflection of what is good. Um, you know, Jesus gave his blood. Uh, mm-hmm. The demonic vampire takes blood. Uh, Jesus gives eternal life. The demonic tries to steal it away. Um, and, you know, again and again, this, this is repeated. And the black-eyed children are, are certainly no, I think, no exception to that. Yeah. How do you, how do, how do people, first of all, we'll close with these two questions is, do you think because of the increased occultism today, is the reason why we're seeing more paranormal preternatural phenomena. I think so. Yeah. Um, that that's definitely a, a, a crucial variable in, in this equation, if you want to call it that. Um, because I think there is a quantitative side to this. I think, I think just statistically you can look at this stuff and see that it's ramping up. Mm-hmm. Um, but these, the more that, that, that particularly in the West, but all over the world, but the more in the West that we've abused our liberties and our, our, the blessings that God has given us, you know, and the, the, we've allowed these, these things to crop up, you know, in the midst of us in greater numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a direct correlation between the more widespread practice of, you know, all manner of occultism. And the occurrence, the rapidity of occurrences within the realm of the preternatural and the, the paranormal. So the two, I think, go hand in hand. I don't think you can have this conversation without talking both of those because those occult traditions, uh, you know, to sort of bring things full circle. They all deal with the trafficking in these spirits, you know, whether people call them gods or their dead ancestors or their their passed along loved ones at the heart of this is this trafficking with spirits uh and we've gone over the reasons why there were such prohibitions about it mm-hmm. uh in the bible and um you know you you don't have to dig very far to find the evidence for this to find that these these that a on the one hand there are more widespread practices of, of the occult um not not just things like Wicca or or neo-paganism, but all kinds of self-styled right uh, uh, magic, all kinds of self-styled state Satanism. Um, I, in my mind, that's the really dangerous kind because mm-hmm. it seems like the, the the demonic tutelage is very direct. And I've written about this on a number of occasions. I wrote a chapter in one of my books called "The Primal Witch" uh, that sort of sets up the the the, uh, the the schema, if you will, uh, for the the uh, uh, 
you know, the training of a witch, the making of a witch, so to speak. And it's usually this direct demonic tutelage that goes all the way back to the pre-flood world uh, and the watchers passing this knowledge on to humans in exchange for genetic access. Um, so, yeah, I think very clearly as these practices have become more widespread and, and more out in the open, um, we are starting to see uh, greater numbers of these these experiences because they're being, in many ways, they're being cultivated and um, invited by the the greater numbers of practitioners in these various occult traditions. Right. As you were talking um, with like the uh, the black eyed children, I was thinking about Lilith. Yes, Lilith. You know, uh-huh. right. You know, in some traditions, uh, people wouldn't go outside past a certain time because mm-hmm. they really had understanding of these spirits will appear to you and will harm mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, Islam uh, or even before Islam with the pre-Islamic uh, Arabs, they wouldn't even whistle. They thought whistling would summon a, mm-hmm. a bad jinn or a right. demon. Right. So, you know, I think I I I think you know part. Well, of course, we have to equate sin. You know, we are sin. You know, it is what it is. But with that, like you're saying, it increased occultism and the commercialization. Um, you you now I think I've seen an ad where the army was using astrology to mm-hmm. pair people with jobs in the military. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. It's cultism. Straight up. You know, uh, harmless uh, crystals, the commercialization mm-hmm. of crystals. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all entry points for demons to whatever form to Absolutely. frighten you. That's what they are seriously want is frighten you because it's like you're scared down. You like paralyzed at fear. Mm-hmm. We're going to pounce on you, you know. Yep. So um, how, how do if you can answer this one, we'll close with this. And how, if somebody is struggling, like, so like, look, man, I saw, I know what I saw, man, where is this at in the Bible? How can I wrestle with that? I think you answered with, with telling us and giving us the order to do mine. How would you, how would you give somebody advice or counsel them about if they are experiencing or have seen something, you know, how do you, how do you counsel that person or, you know, what do you say? Well, there is power in the name of Jesus and people that in, have invoked Jesus, even just the name, uh, have been able to, if, if not set these entities on a quick departure, then certainly put them at bay. Uh, and you mentioned Joe Jordan. I mm-hmm. think he's done some really interesting quantitative work on um, abduct- alien abductees yeah. who have done the same thing. And have been able to just completely end the experience right then and there. Um, that's pretty powerful. Uh, essentially, the same sort of thing works w- with these various encounters. I think. Um, now, that's not to say that there aren't, aren't, you know, even Jesus told us that there were certain kinds of demons of un- unclean spirits where it took a little more investment. You know, he tells his disciples that well, this kind take you know, more prayer and fasting. Right. Um, so that, you know, and it all goes back to the higher, that demonic hierarchy, like the one that, 
that Paul articulates in Ephesians mm-hmm. um, and is articulated throughout the scriptures. Um, but the, at the core of it, at the root of it, is is the is the power in the name of Jesus, but also on, on our part the the investment, the actual salvation gained through Jesus Christ. Um, and I've said it before; I'll say it again. You know, people have to want for this stuff not to happen to get out right. of it. If it's happening, right. you know, some you know many occultists welcome these kinds of experiences. Oh yeah. Um, and they think that they're in control, but the control is an illusion. Um, they're, they're, they're the puppets, not the puppet masters. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I won't dwell on it too long, but I, I've, I've heard from a number of my friends, um, who, who do basically missions work amongst the pagan community that he even, neo-pagans are, are starting to um these entities that they're invoking they feel like they're not able to control them as much so i thought that that was a, a, a kind of a telling you know trend happening in the neo-pagan world mm-hmm. and i wonder how much of that is actually occurring in other traditions uh, yeah. right now i suspect that the same thing same kind of thing is happening um but long story short you know, people have to want for these things not to happen and to submit to uh, Jesus because we're given power and authority over these things. You know, the scriptures say that, it, it, you know, at some point we're restored to our position on the divine council as sons of God. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the scriptures clearly say that we'll we'll sit in judgment of angels. Right. And that's that's not hyperbole. I mean, it's, 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 it's just it written clear as day. And so I think that that's something else that people need to remember, you know, particularly if, if you're, if you're a believer and you find yourself in one of these situations, it ought to be reflex. You know, it's like, you know, it's like Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do or something, you know, it's yeah, just, oh yeah. you're, you're blocking and punching at the same time. It ought to be just, you know, it ought to be just like that, but the church doesn't teach that anymore new. For, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, Clinton T. Arnold's book, uh, Principalities and Powers, he's uh, Spiritual Warfare in Paul's Letters. Um, mm-hmm. He talks about that. He said, uh, I think he's still at Biola. Yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he's at Biola. But um, his book is really good. Um, I'm going through that now. He uh, mm-hmm. he talks about how he has students that will come from Asia and Africa. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And they'll praise the American church for its homiletics, its exegesis, its commentaries. Mm-hmm. But then they become critical because they say, why are you also silent on spiritual warfare? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a problem because now you have. And I remember I went to a uh, interview for a for an internship. And uh, where I went to the church, uh, the predominant seminary that the ministers and all of them went to was very liberal. Mm-hmm. And I went to a very conservative school, Liberty University. So I got my mm-hmm. bachelor's there and my ma- my master of divinity. And they said, why did you go there? And I said, well, you have to deal. You only need somebody on your staff that's going to be able to deal with somebody that's going to come to you and say, I think something was in my room last night. And they're going to need an explanation. They don't need yeah. somebody to talk to them and show them why it's a demon. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was telling a uh, um, a uh, guy. He's a. Uh, I was interviewing for my doctoral program. I was accepting a doctoral program, and um, I told congratulations. Him, Thank you. And uh, now the real I, pain starts. Yeah, it's it's not gonna start for a few years. I, you know, talking with my wife, we're gonna pause and get get some of these kids raised up for. A bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. No but you know, I I told him what I wanted to do my dissertation on. It's it's you know why kids are possessed in the New mm-hmm. Testament. We're not told. I was reading Billy Hollowell. I mentioned this before. Billy Hollowell's book, Playing with mm-hmm. Fire. He said a lot of people are bothered by child possession in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, but when we kind of open it up a little broad, you had a lot of Jewish magic, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they had a heavy influence on the uh, Greek magical papyri and the oh, you know, sure. Yeah. Heavy influence. I mean, they taught the Greeks. Yeah. Gnosticism is right out of the Kabbalistic tradition. That goes back right. to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. were heavy practice. And, you know, I think there was a, a temple of Asclepius that was recently not too long ago found in Jerusalem. If I'm not mistaken. So you have people dabbling. I, I know how people, some people might feel about Mark Dever, but I mean, he might have a point with, you know, the little figurines in the house. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, you know, I'm not saying that's God's wife that they were found, but I mean, you know, I wouldn't put it past. It's like people in my family that were, I mean, heavily involved in the church, but they also dabbled in some hoodoo, not knowing it was hoodoo. But, I, you know, yeah. if you had a wart on your hand, you know who to go to. The root doctor. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 My, my grandma's sister was known as the lady where we're from to get rid of warts. She did yeah. it with my oldest brother. And I asked him how it was done. And he told me. But, you know, what I mean, people with uh, sleep paralysis is very common. You know, yeah. you you shout the name of Jesus and people would say him. That's what Joe Jordan was talking about. It was stop. Yep. You know, and so I believe I know I believe that him in Philippians chapter two and Paul records it in Philippians two. But at that name, I think it's from 10 to 12 at that name of Jesus. Every knee has every got knee. to bow. Yep. We have nothing to fear. You know, yeah. he has not given us the. um the new English translation puts the capital S. So it's the Holy spirit. He's not giving us Holy spirit to fear. Yeah. So we have no, no reason to fear. I mean, Hey, you got to go We mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus Christ. You got to dip. You got to get out of my house. I don't know where you got to go, but you got to get the heck up out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, you know, the price is, is, um, it's eternal vigilance, you know, because, yes. because Christ also, also warned us that, you know, stay on your guard because this, this spirit will, once it's cast out, will go out into the, the wilderness and look for yes. seven more. Yes, sir. That are, that come are even that more. House. Yep. 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 You know, um, what's his name? Graham 12 tree has an excellent, he right. He has an excellent portion on that. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, Jesus and exorcist. His mm-hmm. book on that. That was that's pretty good writing. But uh well, Dr. Burton, if people want to reach out to you, how could they get in contact? Uh well, they can follow me on all the major major social media feeds, YouTube, Facebook. Uh if you want to email me, you can email me at professor burton at yahoo.com. Uh, my websites are burtonbeyond.com and um tioba.org. That's the Institute of Biblical Anthropology. And um I I teach a round of coursework on these topics. Um, and in fact, th- those, 
all my certifications are on that's 12 courses they're on sale right now for 105 dollars a piece and um, oh, that's, people that's people could study okay. uh yeah i I wanted to make this stuff affordable because it's yeah. timely and, and people, you know, really need to really need to start wrapping their heads around this if they haven't already. Oh, yeah. um, but my, I, I would point people to my, my, de- my biblical demonology, um, world mythology and my preternatural morphology uh, program. That last one is the really hot one right now. That's the one that deals with vampires and Ooh. werewolves and revenants and all, all kinds of things. What, what's that site? I think I'm a, I think I'm going to sign up. I'm gonna have to get- well, if people, it's TIOBA.org. If people want to do that, they can email me um, at professorburton at yahoo.com. Uh, I'm going through some website updates and uh, just about to launch a new platform, interactive okay. platform. So, uh, but yeah, now it'd actually be a great time for people to get them because, you know, they'll, they'll already, they'll already be set up. Um, uh, to use the platform and the price will have to go up just because of maintenance costs uh, at that point in time. So, but it's yeah, still think, very, uh, very, very affordable stuff. Very affordable, very affordable. And uh, so many certificate programs are available now through seminary. I think a lot of seminaries, I'm a, let me say this. And then I know we said we're going to close with, you know, that's the, the Baptists and all that other stuff at Pentecostal. Yep. I mean, we're going to close yep. about 50 times. A lot of schools are starting to offer courses on the occult and they are yeah. reporting these courses are packed to the yep. max. And this is seminary, yep. you know, yep. it's a heavy interest. And we're not I don't think we're dealing enough with it in the church. You know, yeah, you can't just deal with Jesus healing and not deal with Jesus as an exorcist, because wherever he healed, he was casting demons. Yeah. Out, Absolutely. So, Amen. It's just right there. Yep. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. And then um, you can check if you want Dr. Burton's books. I have several. I have the Book of Halloween, the Book of the Giants, Lives of the Necromancers, A History of Magic and the Occult, which I am going to dig in shortly. Um, but I got yours off Lulu. Yeah, um, I've okay. got a whole that's part of that series of edited volumes that I did at one point in time. And I'm actually going to start add, adding to that. But I've got I've got two new originals coming out. I've got um, one book called The Van Helsing Way, which deals especially with what we've been talking about tonight, vampires mm-hmm. and werewolves and cryptids and all kinds of stuff and the biblical approach to okay. that. And then I've got uh, another book that um, Dr. Aaron Judkins and I have written together that's forthcoming from Defender Publishing uh, on oh, Gobekli nice. Tepe and the Bible, which is a, a that side in eastern Turkey that's been making such waves the past few years. Oh, nice. Okay. And there's, cool. like, there's lots of cult of the dead stuff yeah. at, at there, too. Did you ever have the uh, the cat claw and the, is it cat claw and the pendulum? Cat claw and the pentagram. I've got, yeah. I'm almost done getting that ready. That, that, that's actually my, I'm watching thesis. for that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm watching for that one. Okay. All right. Well, hey, listen, thank y'all for joining us for our actual second annual Halloween series. So hopefully we're going to keep this ball rolling and, to provide answers for anybody in the church that, you know, may be struggling with paranormal, preternatural, cryptics, all that cryptids, all that, um, you know, whatever you see. And it's hard for we to explain and we want to run to the history channel and then it jacks up our faith. So we're so glad that um, Dr. Burden agreed to come on and 
walked us through this and and provided us great explanations um not just telling us and it's a demon and moving on to the next topic but telling us why it's demonic in its in its nature in its uh beginning so um stay tuned uh we're gonna have more coming to you for this halloween series um but until next time we talk to you god bless you god keep you may heaven smile upon you and may the blood of jesus christ cover you we love you thank you for your support and we'll catch you on the flip peace Thank you.